Gives himself room and swings across the line. Didn't time it all that well. Out to Cow Corner. This is Cow Corner, ABC Grandstand's Cricket Show. Cow Corner today. Ed Cowan opens up with his off-season plans still in limbo. And Gav Joshi from Bangladesh surveys the wreckage of Australia's World T20 campaign. Peter Newland's with you on Cow Corner for another week as I welcome my co-host Dan Lonigan. Dan, what on earth happened in Bangladesh? Yeah, they were terrible, weren't they, Pete? Uh, they were really poor. The first match against Pakistan, they didn't bat well enough other than Maxwell and Finch. The West Indies came from behind to beat them in the second match. I thought it was a bit rich of the Australian team to start complaining about the way the West Indies celebrated. I mean, uh, when the shoe's on the other foot, the Australians don't like it. India, well, they got the Australians when they're at their lowest ebb and they ended up beating Bangladesh in the last match, but that was a bit of a battle as well. Some major concerns, pretty ordinary campaign. And uh, the Australians have got some work to do to get themselves uh, up to scratch with other T20 teams around the world, I would well, have thought, Pete. The next World T20 uh, tournament will be in two years' time in India, so the conditions will be pretty similar. Meanwhile, half Australia's squad, more or less, will head off to the IPL to uh, continue to play in these uh, subcontinental conditions. So we'll try to get to the, the bottom of it a little more later in the show. But next up, Dan, a, a favourite of ours on the program, uh, Australian and Tasmanian opening batsman Ed Cowan. This is Cow Corner. When the list of Cricket Australia contracts was released this week, there was plenty of discussion through the cricket world as to who had been left out or in or why. Having played his most recent test match in Trent Bridge in July of last year, it probably didn't top the list of discussion topics that Ed Cowan had missed out on a new contract. After a solid season with Tasmania where he topped the runs aggregate and averaged a shade under 40, He's got his sights set on a productive season in the English County Championship. And Ed Cowan joins us now. Ed, uh, thanks for coming along today. Always a pleasure, Pete. Dan? First of all, how do you yeah. rationalise uh, missing out on a Cricket Australia contract? Uh, well, I guess, you know, there was no expectation on, on my end that it was ever going to happen. So I probably had, uh, you know, four or five months to, to digest that it was going to happen. I guess, uh, you know, it'd, it'd be harder to be an Alex Doolan and, and be a test incumbent and, and still not see your name on that list. Uh, um, so, you know, from my point of view, I'm, you know, my focus has switched entirely to, to winning games for, for Tasmania and, and, and finishing my career strongly. So with that in mind, Ed, you've had a solid season for Tasmania and what's on the radar now? Any, um, any idea what you might be doing through the off season? Uh, well, try, trying to play some county cricket it's it's not only great fun over there but it's a great cricketing experience uh, in different conditions uh, with different balls and different teammates and, and the change rooms a very different atmosphere a little bit uh, uh, multicultural I guess over there um, and it's it's just a great experience so trying to do that and, and currently I guess in talks with uh, with the county but uh, you know, hopefully that, that comes through um, fingers crossed so you feel confident that'll happen Ed, at this stage uh, I was more confident last week than this week, I must admit. Um, so we'll see. I, I think 
this county wants an opening batsman and, and they want someone when I'm available. So so hopefully it, it does come off that we're not a dime a dozen, I guess. Would that be like a almost like a Phil Hughes Worcestershire uh, season, which was what, what the year before last, playing across all three formats, if yeah, it comes through? Ideally, well, I think at this stage of my career, I want to play as much cricket as possible. It's a bit different when you're solely in the test team. You know, you, your focus probably shifts away from the shorter formats. Uh, but if you're not in that test team, I, I think you play as much cricket as you can. And I, I do enjoy playing T20 cricket. And when I put my mind to it, I've done okay, I guess. Uh, in Australia, I just haven't really uh, had the time nor the inclination. But it, it suits suits me a bit more over there. The smaller boundaries and faster outfields and uh, little people like me can clear the ropes. Ed, let's get back to your test career. You played 18 tests. You made just over 1,000 runs. You got a lot of starts and a lot of innings. Mm. Does it still annoy you that you seem to leave a lot of runs out there when you were set? Uh, yeah, I think that's that's not only a fair observation, but um, probably a, a fair summary in terms of my own frustration. I, I guess it came from, uh, you know, well, to say it felt like I was getting better the whole time, and, and by the time I got dropped, I actually felt like I'd kind of worked it out. I, after that tour of India, I... Yes, there are a lot of starts, but a few of those felt like significant contributions in the conditions. I think looking at my first 10 tests, a lot had to do with wasting a lot of mental energy, getting used to the pace of the game, uh, you know, and, and the hype surrounding test cricket and everything that goes with it, the pressure. So you, you kind of felt like you were 30 or 40, but you were mentally exhausted. Uh, and then you get out, and you've ruined another chance, and then if you're opening the batting in Test cricket, you'll get knocked over one or two times, and uh, you might get 60 or 70, and all of a sudden you're only averaging 30, and and you're under pressure. So it it certainly felt for my first 10 tests that way, Uh, and then my next eight, actually, apart from the last one, um, it it felt like I'd sort of understood what it was about and, and the tempo that I needed to play at, uh, and, and then it was done and dusted, and you know, uh, you can see the the growth in 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 Dave Warner in the last twelve months. You know, you get those twenty tests under your belt, uh, and then away you go. Justin Langer said he he didn't really feel like a test opening batsman till after thirty five tests. So it does take a, a long time to acclimatise. So I am, in a sense, kicking myself, and and not to make excuses, but just trying to explain, I guess why and you do think about it it's it's clear and obvious to everyone so you, you need to come up with an answer i guess it explained the dressing room dynamics to me how much did it change from when mickey arthur was coached to when darren lehman took over in the early stages of that ashes series in england last year uh well yeah obviously changes as a whole because uh you have someone different in front of the group and, and what direction they want to be taking the group in I think uh, certain characters within that team uh, had become a little bit aggrieved with Mickey, probably wrongly in my eyes, but you know, professional sportsmen tend to be quite stubborn, um, and that was their opinion. And then when he left, that, that got lifted. Um, and uh, in one of their cases, he became a really key feature of the, the next 12 months. So um, coaching can can be about teaching guys skills but I think at that level it's, it's to do with man management as well and, and that na- that word keeps popping up and I thought Mickey was a fantastic man manager in my experience and he wanted to to take a a team in a certain direction and and he didn't really get that opportunity in the end 
you've reflected on your test career. What about the last game you played at Trent Bridge in July last year? As I mentioned, you were unwell and you were out first ball and that seemed to be the catalyst for, it probably was the catalyst, for someone else to come into the team in your place. How do you look back on that, that sort of micro you know, incident in your career now? Yeah, uh, I guess I don't have any main regrets from my test career. The only regret would be that I didn't really get to go out as I would have loved to or you know sport it's not about fairy tales but you kind of want to be the creator of your own destiny and it, I always felt with my spot in the team if I was scoring enough runs I'd hold my spot uh, and, I, and I felt like I didn't really have an opportunity in that test because I was so sick to, to do that and then uh, one chance and, and you were gone so not not to be aggrieved or or to complain but that, that I guess is a regret that um I got dropped after being sick. I think you can deal with a loss of form and getting dropped, uh, but it just felt like things were a bit out of my control for that test match. In hindsight, should have you pulled out on the morning of the test match yet? Oh, well, I didn't didn't fall ill until lunchtime on day one, um, oh, okay. so that was the problem. <laughs> I was fine, running around like a a lunatic, um, you know, with with incredible adrenaline in that first morning, and then came in for lunch, uh, and then just started feeling a bit ill and a bit woozy and then uh, a little bit nauseous and probably 25 30 minutes after lunch I, I just you know was uh, was was throwing up you know involuntarily just couldn't stop um, and, and that continued for, for 24 hours so uh, I had a jab to, to stop myself throwing up given to me by the doctor before I went out to bat um, which helped but you know, you know so dehydrated and and sort of not with it by that stage that um, the rest was history. On Cow Corner, our guest is Australian and a Tasmanian opening batsman. And you're listening to us on Grandstand Digital and across the Pacific on Radio Australia. Ed, uh, do you still have designs on adding to those 18 test matches? Yeah, I think so. If, if you don't have those desires, then you know I guess you need to try and find something else to do. Uh, but at the same time, I'm realistic and understand that more than likely, it's not going to happen unless something outrageous happened so you know i can live with that and uh you know chris rogers is a great example if, if you bang down the door for long enough uh, sometimes opportunity uh you know will come to you so hopefully but at the same time i'm very comfortable if i if i never do play another test match that my career was one that i loved every single moment of and and uh learned a lot from Without laboring the point too much, Ed, that second innings at Trent Bridge when you made 14 and was dismissed by Joe Root just before lunch. I remember watching it in my hotel room. I've been calling some AFL football up in Brisbane. And I could feel, you may have a different view here, but I could feel the fear uh, that you seemed to have. You were hitting the ball straight to fielders mm. in the offside. Did you feel that if you missed out there, that it was all over and that was probably why you might have got out? Uh, yeah, I was, I was actually surprised I got picked for the test match, to be honest. Um, you know, with, with the change of coach and, and a few different things that happened around the group and David Warner coming back in, we essentially sort of had a bat off the, the day before the test match. Uh, and, you know, thankfully for me, Dave missed his first three balls and got clean bowled up in the nets. We were batting with each other and, uh, you know, that probably sealed his fate for the test match. Uh, so I knew that, if I didn't get runs that test, I, I was gone. Uh, and you're probably right. I did play with a little bit of fear, uh, knowing that. But at the same time, you know, by that stage, I still wasn't 100 percent fit, and I was just trying to battle my way through. My mental state was clear, but it was, 
you know, you just got to fight and scrap and try and get a score here and, and what will be will be rather than go out and uh, enjoy it and, and play with freedom if it was your last test match. Um, so, yeah, I guess it, it pans out how it does and, and I don't regret that. Ed, we'd love to talk to you all day. Time's on the wing, but let me just ask you this one about Glenorchy. Uh, how much joy did you get playing in a district cricket premiership at Glenorchy as you did playing in test matches for Australia and also shield-winning titles for Tasmania? That's a good question. I, I think you play to win, uh, and so when you win a premiership, it's always special. That's Club cricket's a little different when you're not there every Saturday, so it's very different to a, a Sheffield Shield win when you spend... You know, nine months with the same group of people moving towards that goal. Uh, grade cricket, when it gets to the business end, is is really good cricket, and and you're there on a more regular basis. But through the start of the year, um, you know, you can you can play one game out of four or five. So particularly with the with the packed domestic uh, domestic schedule the way it is, you, you tend to play less grade cricket, which is probably to the detriment of the competition and cricket pathways as a whole um, so it is very rewarding and it's great to see the guys who have been there every week get rewarded for their hard work uh, with a premiership and, and it was uh, it was a good game of cricket in the end and Ed uh, your other grade club Sydney University where you were first arrived as a teenager and you won two premierships playing uh, alongside Greg Matthews and others in in the mid 2000s they take on another great power in Sydney club cricket Bankstown at Hurstville overall on the weekend. Will you be keeping a close eye on the on the way that game progresses? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I still see myself as a as a Sydney Uni boy. Uh, I'm a bit worried that Bankstown have beaten them twice in the last four weeks. Uh, so fingers crossed that uh, you know that they're due to to get one over them, and uh, you know that would be a a fantastic achievement um, for the Uni guys to to win. You know they've dom- they've been the dominant team of the last five six years in Sydney. So another premiership would be nice to see. Ryan Carter's Scott Henry and also Sean Abbott in the Sydney Uni lineup. Dan and Daryl Tuffy, the former New Zealand player, yes. are turning out for Bankstown. Well, we're going to catch up with uh, Dean Rutz, who's a Victorian opener who played for Footscray, Pete, who broke a 35-year drought in district cricket uh, last weekend. So uh, you thought Glenorchy had big celebrations. Uh, Footscray had massive celebrations as well. It's a wonderful time of year, the great cricket finals all around Australia. Well, Ed, as I said, if we had more time, we'd speak to you forever. There's lots of interesting issues you brought up there. You've had a great career so far. May I continue, and let's hope you do get a, a contract over in English County Cricket and have a great time. Mm. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. This is Cow Corner, ABC Grandstand's Cricket Show. This is Cow Corner on Grandstand Digital and also on Radio Australia across the Pacifics. Dan Lonigan and Peter Newlands with you. As we heard before from Ed Cowan, he's been celebrating Glenorchy's great cricket premiership at Hobart. Footscray Edgewater has been doing the same in Melbourne. They won just their second title, having won before way back in 1979-80 by thrashing Essendon by 360 runs. Former South Australian bowler Jake Haverfield put an end to a great season, claiming six wickets as the Bombers were dismissed for 166 in reply to the Bulldogs' massive eight declared for 526. Dean Russ had a great year for Footscray, not only captaining the team but making over 800 runs, which saw him play two Shield matches late in the season for Victoria and has been good enough to join us on the program today. Well, Dean... Welcome to Cow Corner. Congratulations on the win. As I said, it's been a long time coming. No doubt the celebrations have been pretty good for Footscray Edgewater. Thank you. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming and it's uh, 
we've made the most of it and uh, just, just so right that we could be able to uh, see a bit of silverware back at the kennel. Describe the atmosphere around the uh, the grand final, what it meant to the people who've been around the club for, for so many years. Yeah, and I think you just touched on it there. It's what it means to the people. I mean, we, we've been so lucky to have so many volunteer supporters and uh, a great committee and, and, you know, it's the best way that the players could repay their thanks and, and that is to win a premiership and just, you know, you could see the emotion in people's eyes and how much it means to um, everyone and everyone involved in, in the West and, you know, to be able to deliver it was just, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Did the final, Dean, seem more exciting, seem more special because you had two teams that hadn't been there for a long time? I mentioned Footscray had last been there 79-80 in Essendon had last one 1969-70. Oh, I'm not sure if it felt more special. I haven't been involved in a grand final. I haven't even, I never even went to a grand final because we're never yeah. involved. So um, I just, I mean, I can only say from uh, our point of view that, you know, when we when we beat Geelong in the semi-final, there was a pretty good feeling. And then obviously to come up against Essendon and, and to go about our business, and we've been threatening to string a performance like that, and it was just fantastic that we could actually do it on on the day and on the biggest stage, and the most important time of the year too. Were there many of the the, the great names from Footscray of uh, years gone by uh, at at the grand final to uh, take in the victory with you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was great. I stood next to Lindsay James, the the only other premiership captain, and you know have a beer and a chat with him. And Merv Hughes and Dodders came through and. You know, there was a, a lot of ex, ex-football, uh, Footscray players there. So, um, you know, it was great for them to share the, the joy as well. Some would say, Dean, that if you didn't have Jake Haverfield, you mightn't have made the final. That's probably a little bit unfair, but he took 59 wickets. He was outstanding, wasn't he? Oh, look, I mean, you know, he showed his true class and his ability to bowl long spells and, and, and take lots of wickets. And, you know, he very rarely bowled a bad ball. And, and you know, he did show he was a class above, but... I mean, you, you can look at anything. You look at all the finals that have been there. You know, a lot of it, it's very rare that a team will win a grand final without having someone get over sort of 800 runs and get some, someone not getting over 50 wickets. So, I mean, you could say that about a few few clubs too. I think. And what's your plan for the off season, Dean? After such a high at the end of the season, <laughs> it's all been. I'm looking forward to a rest. I think at one stage you played 11 11 days out of 14, and on top of that, I had to go to work in between those rest days. So, um, yeah, I think just to Relax, enjoy it, soak it all in, and you know, I'm sure we'll have a few more celebration nights coming up. And uh, yeah, just all in all, get back to a bit of routine of work. And we have to remember too, Dean. You played two Shield matches for Victoria. Obviously, a lot of runs for Footscray helped you get an opportunity for Victoria. You must have enjoyed that. A couple of handy innings as well. Where you had to work really hard to uh, keep your wicket. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, it was as, it was tough as I thought it was, both you know, physically, emotionally. You know, it was tough taking and mentally. You know, to be able to do it against some of the top quality bowlers, and you know, the jump was it was just so relentless in in everything they they do, and their skill sets are just um, top drawer, and that's why they get paid to do this for a living. So, you know, it was nice to sort of hold your own, um, and you know, hopefully there is some opportunities in the, in the near future. Dean, plenty for you to contemplate through the uh, winter months. Uh, thanks for your time today and keep enjoying that beautiful afterglow of the of the Premiership for Footscray. Fantastic. Oh, we certainly will be. Cheers. Thank you very much. That's Dean Russ from Footscray, Dan, uh, winning a Premiership in the 13-14 season. Next up on Cow Corner, we're going to our man in Bangladesh, Gav Joshi. This is Cow Corner. 
This is Cow Corner. Well, as mentioned earlier in the program, a disastrous T20 World Cup campaign for the Australian men's team. They lost their first three matches, won the final match against the host nation, Bangladesh, but it was too late. She cried. They're actually out of the tournament after their second loss to the West Indies. Gav Joshi has been following the tournament for grandstand. And Gav, what went wrong for Australia? It was uh, really a disappointing start against Pakistan and it got worse. It certainly did. It hasn't been the tournament that we all hope to have. We're coming into the tournament as favourites, and there's probably a few reasons, but one of them has to be fatigue. The other's got to be the ability to play spin bowling, and you have to question some of the team selection. So they're probably the three things that you'd probably narrow it down to. But as you said, we started off well against... Um, I mean, Pakistan, there were one stage we're cruising along, but uh, needing... 75 of 60 balls, it sort of, we lost eight wickets. And once after that first game, we were troubled by spinners. I think the confidence must have gone down and it sort of went pear-shaped from there. Of course, Jimmy Faulkner with that, those comments against West Indies didn't quite help. It sort of got West Indies into action. So um, not the best tournament yet, but a few issues certainly um, stand out. I guess it's interesting to think that, OK, Australia is not so good on the the turning pitches and in the subcontinent, and that's fine. But half this Australian team is now going to go in and play in the IPL and has extensive experience in the IPL in those conditions. How do we sort of put that uh, fact together with the fact that we've had another flame-out in a, in a T20 World Cup? Well, it's hard to say, isn't it? But, I mean, one thing you have to be honest about is the pitches in the IPL are quite benign. You can hit through the line of the ball as they were in that uh, one-day series over in India. And when we uh, constantly piled up scores around 300 and 350, but here in Dhaka, it hasn't been the same. The pitches have gripped slightly. It's always... uh, And the ball's turned, which has made our job a little bit uh, harder. And to go on top of that, I think, you know... uh, it's easy enough to slog spin bowlers over cow corners to sixes and fours, but you've got to be able to rotate strike, and that's something that Australia sort of struggled in, I believe. Um, but, you know, we, we do, do get plenty of exposure to spin, so it's hard to understand why uh, in this tournament we've gone so badly. Gav, did you think it was a bit rich? You talked about Jimmy Faulkner's comments regarding the West Indies, that the West Indies were celebrating. Some might have thought they celebrated over the top. Big win for them, though, against Australia. And then the Australians were angry with the way they celebrated, the way they conducted themselves. I mean, we saw how the Australians portrayed that ugly Aussie image during the Ashes series and also the series in South Africa. I mean, uh, if you give it out, you've got to receive it too, don't you? You're absolutely right, Ben. I mean... Um, you know, James Falcon, uh, as he said, maybe as Darren Lehman said, should have used his um, words cleverly. I mean, that, that's what he needed to do. Perhaps he didn't want to target, and he probably targeted the wrong team. And let's face it, West Indies are everybody's second favourite team, and sort of got them kick started. I mean, Chris Gale, if you look at the two performances prior to that match against Australia, it's quite subdued. It batted up to 10th and 12th over and hit about two odd boundaries, but suddenly it came out and went berserk and sort of put Australia in the back foot. So that wasn't wise of Jimmy Faulkner, but as you said, I mean, if you dish it out, you've got to be able to cop it, and that's what the West Indies did, and they were overjoyed, I mean, beating Australia. Darren Sammy was so clever in the press conference. He said, well, we all know what happened in the previous World Cup uh, semi-final when Australia sort of talked to talk then, um, and we came out on top. So it's all about action on the field, and you've got to be able to replicate that. Unfortunately, Jimmy Faulkner, who, of course, bowled that last over, wasn't able to. Would a fit Mitchell Johnson have made any difference at all? You would think so. Somewhere Mitchell Johnson would have made a difference, although Dougie Bollinger, I thought, had a quite an impressive World Cup. I mean, he's... 
experience in the IPL sort of told in a couple of best overs. I think Mitchell Stark was really, he was almost undercooked a, a little bit, I think, but certainly Mitchell Johnson, his ability to unsettle batsmen um, would have made a difference. I know the wickets weren't as... Uh, as bouncy as they would be back home, but certainly with the new ball, they did carry through at least for a first, you know, four or five overs. And certainly, if he was able to make a couple of more breaks up the start, then perhaps, you know, it would have given more confidence in playing someone like a James Muirhead or even Brad Hogg. And that's sort of the most uh, thing that uh, even Shane Maughan commented about that Australia probably got it wrong. Gav, great to catch up. No doubt we'll talk again next week when the tournament's over. Keep enjoying it, and thanks for joining us again on Grandstand. My pleasure, Dan. Thanks for having me on. There's Gav Joshi from Bangladesh. And one more thing before we go, Dan, the stat of the week. And let's take a little bit of a journey back in time. 60 years ago this week, Gary Sobers made his test debut versus England at the age of 17, the start of a 20-year test career. What a player. And uh, the West Indies, who knows, may or may not see his like again. What What a treasure of a test player he was. Well done. Gary Sobers. Yes, the greatest batting all-rounder of all time. Yep. Jacques Callis, a pretty good one as well. Pete, great to catch up in another wonderful show on Cow Corner. We'll have more next week. Look forward to your company then.